Today's guest is Ian Watson in the UK, who also featured on episode 52 of this podcast. Ian offers introductory wellness workshops and in-depth facilitated training programs based on the three principles understanding as described by the late Sydney Banks. The principles of the program is based on the belief that everyone has innate well-being and resilience on the inside, no exceptions, and that peace of mind and well-being is the natural state of all human beings. It is also believed that destructive behavior and habits arise in response to internal distress and that they fall away naturally by themselves when innate well-being is restored. Certainly sounds like a pretty big promise, but Ian will be talking to us a bit more about that today. And if you would like to attend one of his workshops, then visit www.theinsightspace.com for more information and make sure you sign up to his newsletter, which always shares some very valuable information. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. You cannot see my smile right now, but it's going ear to ear because once again, I get to have the lovely Ian Watson on our podcast. He was also on episode 52. So if you want to know more about this wonderful man, you're going to have to scroll back a little bit more. But Ian, welcome back. It's a pleasure to be back so soon. Thank you. You say soon, but it's got to be 50 episodes from the last time you were on by the time that this episode goes live. So this will be about episode 125-ish. That's 70, 75 episodes ago. <laughs> Oh, I can't keep up with you. You're yeah. moving so quickly through them. It's, it's unbelievable. Homeopathy is vast and wonderful and there's so much going on. I am trying to keep up. I would do a daily podcast if I had the time, but we are going to be talking about something that is very close to your heart called the three principles. And I've talked with other homeopaths who have done your courses and just the massive improvement that's helped them with their prescribing. So can you tell our, little, our listeners a little bit about why you've made, I wouldn't say the transition from homeopathy to UK, because you're not doing consulting anymore, but like homeopathic consulting, but tell us how you discovered the three principles and what the evolution was there. Okay. It's a good place to start because I think, yeah, just telling my own personal story will probably be relatable, I think, mm. to other people. And I've often been asked this and sometimes been accused letting homeopathy down by yeah how dare <laughs> leaving you <laughs> exactly which honestly i homeopathy is still my first medicine of choice and that hasn't changed what did change was my relationship to it and my own work just led me in another direction but i think it's very related so having practiced as a homeopath for about 15 16 years and it was very busy time for me. I was running a group clinic. I was also running a homeopathy training school. Mm. I was also traveling and teaching. I was writing books. I went all in <laughs> on homeopathy and I loved it. And then I was getting a bit burnt out, I noticed, which is understandable. It didn't, wouldn't matter what you were doing. If you were doing it at that level for a certain mm. period of time, you're going to get exhausted. I was ready for a shift in focus. And mm. one of the, there were a couple of things that had been catching my attention and bugging me when you work with a lot of people over a period of time, you start to notice themes and certain things. And it's like, oh, there's that again and mm. again. And for example, one of the things that bugged me was that there were certain people in my practice who I felt like I couldn't really help. I wasn't really helping them, mm. but they still kept coming back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I have which, a couple of those. Yeah. Which initially I found quite baffling because I thought, 
maybe they're getting something out of it, but it's not clear to me what it is. I actually had an experience with a client. I don't know if I told you this story last time we were together. There's a client who came for about two years and then left. And I felt like I'd never helped her. And then I was doing a bit of an audit of my practice and I got in touch with her. And when I had a conversation, she was like, oh, no, you helped me so much. Did I tell you this story? No, keep going. So I invited her to come back in because I was really curious. And she came back in and I said, my experience was I gave you one remedy after another. Your symptoms moved around. We never really got to the bottom of it. And she just sat there quietly. And then she says, my experience was different. She said, I was going through a very challenging, difficult time in my life. You provided me with a space. It was a kind of a listening space that was unlike any other space that I had in my life at that time. You seemed to listen in a way that nobody else did. And I felt like you weren't judging me. And it was really helpful to me to use you as a sounding board to help me get clear on the direction in in my life. And that was invaluable. And I'm really grateful to you for that. And I was like, oh, I hadn't really realized that, that A, that I was doing that effectively and B, that it was having such an impact. At which point then she pulls out this carrier bag and drops it on my desk, which it had all the remedies in it that I'd prescribed for her that she'd never taken. (laughs) I'm serious. She actually, she took the first one or two. And then after that, she didn't take them. She just put them all in this bag. Oh. And I said to her, I said to her, oh my God, and I, I sweated blood trying to work out what some of these remedies <laughs> yeah, were. I know. How dare she not what, take what? them? <laughs> exactly. Mm. Why did you keep telling me your symptoms and yeah. so, so that I could give you a remedy? Do you know what she said? She said, you seem to have a need to keep giving them to me. Oh, that's interesting. What a gift. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, I was stunned, but it, I was also like, oh my God, I got such an insight from that because wow. I realized that. I had a totally different agenda mm. as to, in terms of what I thought she needed. And she knew that she didn't need that. And she was getting what she needed over here, which was invisible to me. <laughs> so this was a mind twister for me. It was like, whoa. And I obviously straight away, I thought she's probably not the only one. The chances are there are other people in my practice who the main value of them coming to me is not the prescribing part. It's Mm -hmm. not to say that's without value. And for some people, it's a huge part of the value. But I realized that it's more nuanced than that. There are other things that we're offering that I haven't really seen. They're less tangible, less visible. It's pretty intangible, right? But (laughs) this is another level. It was something to do with the interaction and the listening, the way that we are trained to listen Mm -hmm. without prejudice as best we can. And also to be a kind of reflecting mirror so that the person joins the dots in their own mind. They see things, they make connections they've never seen before. That's healing in and of itself. And I hadn't really appreciated that fully at that point. So suddenly I had eyes for that. And it it opened up that possibility that this is maybe the reason why some of these people keep coming back and I keep giving remedies. They're not really getting better, but they keep coming back. They're getting something. And in a sense, maybe just giving more remedies is missing the point. What if that was missing the point? That's what I started to explore. What if I gave myself permission to not have to find a remedy for everyone. Maybe some people, all I have to do is to connect with them in such a way that we can have a healing conversation. How would that be? And I didn't know whether that I could pull that off. <laughs> it felt like a, an experiment, really. But I knew that it was a thread that I wanted to follow. I was curious. And pretty quickly, I found that became the bulk of my practice. And then I started to get clients from other homeopaths 
that they'd have been unable to help with remedies alone. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was on to, you know, that there are obviously other dimensions to healing beyond what we were addressing by just giving remedies. So that became my kind of pursuit. I was literally just following my interests. It didn't feel like a conscious choice that I'd made. I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing homeopathy and do this. It wasn't that at all. It was the same interest that pulled me into homeopathy. It just kept pulling me. (laughs) But now it was pulling me into how can you help people who are stuck in chronic patterns of suffering, particularly psychological and emotional suffering? How can you help those people? And I didn't know. I honestly didn't know, but I wanted to find out. So that became my learning journey then for the next nine, 10 years. I started looking at all the different things I could find that could help people on that level. I went, I trained with Brandon Bay's journey process work. I learned the Byron Katie technique, the working with the, what she calls the work which is a, essentially a psychological tool. I looked at uh, something called Hakomi process work, which is wonderful stuff. So psychological energy body work combined. I went deep into Jungian psychology. I was doing dream analysis for a period of time. I was just trying to find out what works in this field. I don't know. Let's see what we can find. And I was still left with a niggling feeling that all of these things were good, except when they weren't. <laughs> mm. <laughs> no. There were still times when it didn't matter what tool or technique, and by this time I had a pretty comprehensive toolbox after about another 10 years, it didn't matter which one I pulled out, there were some people where I still had that feeling it's not working for them. And what it looked like then was the only thing we can do is either we change the tool, try something else, or we just work a bit harder. It's like you keep working on your issues. That became Mm. a theme. Mm. And something about that was bugging me. Surely we shouldn't have to be working on our issues all of our life. Mm. When do we get to the end of that? Yeah, as exactly. Right? And the third option was maybe we have to dig deeper. Maybe there's something deep in the person's unconscious that we haven't uncovered yet. Mm. So we have to go back even further into something that they're not even aware of. And again, something in me was starting to rebel against that. I was yes. like, if this was raw material that's ripe for healing, mm. surely it should come into our awareness naturally and spontaneous. We shouldn't have to go digging for it, like pulling teeth. Oh, and that some of my clients will go dig into past lives and then often yeah. end up in a bigger mess than they were before because they just go and drag all the stuff that potentially might not even have happened, but some person told them that this yes. or this happened in their past life. And then you have all new traumas on top of everything else. And that sometimes exactly. it, it just doesn't no feel quite right it. for me either. Hmm. Yeah. So that feeling of it being, there's something a bit off Mm. here that was growing in me. And I was, I didn't know what the answer was, but again, I knew that there's something I haven't understood yet about just this whole process. And that's when I came across the understanding known as the three principles. And it was the beginning of 2011. And a friend of mine just introduced me to it. He he had changed his work uh, substantially. And he said, I think this might interest you. And you know what? My first response was, if it's any good, I would have heard about it by now. (laughs) Fair enough. It sounds, you were definitely rambling off a bunch of stuff that I had never heard of. That's for sure. (laughs) And the list was three times as long as what I just told you. Yeah, I'm sure. There was a lot of things that I went into and I was just sifting through. Yeah. But anyway, I was at least some part of me was open-minded enough. I was like, okay, let's give you the benefit of the doubt. I went and listened to a talk this friend was giving. And within about an hour, I heard something completely changed my understanding. I didn't even know what I'd heard. And yet I was seeing it differently already. I was like, how did that happen? What's going on here? And I knew that I was onto something. I didn't know what I was onto. So it was like a complete direction shift. What is this three principles? Mm-hmm. Who's behind it? What's Where the materials? Turns out there wasn't much. This is only 11, 12 years ago. 
there was some a certain number of books, six books written by a chap called Sidney Banks, and which he'd completed. He died in 2009, just before mm-hmm. I'd gotten into it. So he'd published these six books. He'd left a few recordings. That was it. And there was virtually nothing else. Now, as we speak now, there's at least 300 books that I know of. Just Amazing. to give you an exact, just, just to give you a sense of the exponential nature of how this has continued to grow wow. and beyond his death is probably more than that now. And there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of people around the world who are basing their work upon this very simple understanding because it's what people experience as the missing piece. And that's mm-hmm. what it was for me. It was the missing piece that I didn't know what it was, but when I found it, it was like, oh yeah, um, this makes sense of all these other things that were puzzling me and bugging me. So what is it about it that you felt was the missing link? Okay. How long have you got? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes. Not, not long enough, but we'll do our best, right? So the, the first thing that I heard Sydney Banks, so I'm just going to use some of the things that I picked up from him as a kind of reference, in, mm. as a way into it, because it can sound a bit abstract uh, at first flush. And I don't want it to, because mm. you know me, I think enough to know that I'm very practical by nature. Mm. I've always been interested in what actually works, what actually helps people. And I still had that radar on when I was looking into this. It's, it sounds good, but does it actually work? And what I immediately saw was, Oh my God, not only does it work, but it helps those people that nothing else worked. That caught my attention, first Mm -hmm. of all. There were people working, for example, one of the people that I trained with, I jumped onto a training very quickly without even knowing what I was letting myself in for. (laughs) And one of my trainers, he was a clinical psychologist who'd worked in the field of addictions recovery. So that's that was his field. That's a hard one. He was was a hard one, but he was an Mm -hmm. expert in that field already as a clinical Mm -hmm. psychologist. He did that for many years. And he was getting limited success, but probably as good as his peers. Mm. And then he was introduced to the work of Sidney Banks. He basically let go of everything that he'd learned doing his PhD in psychology, literally overnight. And he started to share what he'd heard from Sidney Banks, which seemed like nothing by comparison. And the results just went off the scale. Suddenly, addictions and habit, uh, destructive habits were just falling away without people having to even think about it or work on them. And when people move from allopathy mm-hmm. and they're used to a certain level of, let's say, health maintenance, they can manage their symptoms as long as they keep taking the medicine and so on. Mm. They go to a homeopath, right? They get one dose of one remedy, boom, the whole thing goes away. Do I need to keep taking it? No, you're done. <laughs> that seems unbelievable right yeah that seems too good to be true at mm. first flight and a lot of people they can't even go there because it seems incredible possibility should even exist but as homeopaths we get used to that right so what suddenly i had to get used to was oh what's available through homeopathy in the health field it's a, something similar is available in the psychological field Amazing. it's just that most people don't know about it so the first thing that i heard from sydney banks what he shared was he said The only thing that really changes people, and he was speaking directly from his own experience, Mm. he says it's when they have an insight which shifts their level of consciousness from the inside. Yep, I completely agree with that. Definitely for myself as well. We know that, don't we? We know that from our own experience. And coming across homeopathy, that can give people an insight. Whoa, when we suddenly catch sight of a facet of homeopathic understanding, it shifts your level of consciousness. Mm. And And you can never go back. 
You can never go back. <laughs> you just couldn't. It's, it's irrevocable. It's like uh-huh. a one-time thing. And you can't go back to the place. It's like when you've seen something, mm. you can never pretend that you didn't see it. You can't unsee you know, you it. It's not possible. That's right. Mm. So that was the first thing that caught my attention is when he said, the only way you can learn this, you, the only way you can get a, a sense of what these principles are pointing to is through your own insight, not through your intellect. So anybody trying to get their head around it intellectually will fail, is basically what he was saying. Now, I like that. Some people hate that. <laughs> I liked it because it made perfect sense to me mm. and answered to me one of the conundrums of my practice. So one of the conundrums was, why do some people keep grinding away for years and never seem to change? Mm. No matter how hard high I work, no matter how hard they work, we, they still seem stuck. And yet there are other people who come in we chat for half an hour. I feel like I haven't done anything. And it's like a light bulb goes on in their mind. And they go, oh, Ian, thank you so much. That was so helpful. And I'm scratching my head wondering what I did. What's That had always bugged me. That had always puzzled me. So what's the difference? These ones had an insight. The other ones didn't. It's that simple. It also answered the conundrum of why is it when I, fight, I train in a technique, a psychological technique, and I use it with a person, it works brilliantly with person A, and yet person B, it just doesn't seem to help them at all. Yeah, exactly. Or even person A, the same person on a different occasion, sometimes it will help them tremendously. Mm. And then we, we work through something else and it doesn't, it just falls flat. It's like mm. diminishing returns. Mm. Again, why not? Sydney Banks' answer explains that. He says really? it's all to do with whether they have an insight. Does their consciousness shift or does it not? If it doesn't matter what you do, it literally doesn't matter because. That, and that was like an eye-opener to me. I literally had an insight about insight. Well, I've just had an insight about insights because I'm just thinking of the things that I thought I've had that insight. I can never unsee that. I can never uninsight that. <laughs> it's now part of my consciousness and who I am and what I believe. It's part of my DNA, part of my vibration, everything. I can't undo that. So mm. this is why my business became known as the insight space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Literally, that, that was the reason. I, you know, I was re- making a new website and everything yeah. to reflect the change in my work. But I called it the insight space because that, to me, was a fundamental piece mm. of this understanding that we call the three principles. Sydney Banks was highlighting the fact that the only way that people's behavior changes in a lasting and sustainable way is when something inside them shifts. Mm. So they, their consciousness has moved to a new level. When that happens, whatever we were doing previously no longer makes sense. So we don't do that anymore. From this new level, something else makes more sense, so we do that instead. And it's completely seamless, and it's effortless, Mm. it's easy, Mm. and it's quick. It satisfies Hahnemann's criteria. Rapid, gentle, and permanent. And I love that. I was like, oh my God, it's homeopathic. (laughs) It is. We're doing almost nothing, and in an instant, everything's changed. So it appealed to me as a homeopath. Mm. I think I intuitively understood the potential in this probably a lot quicker than some people because of my my training ground (laughs) had had equipped me. I was very susceptible to this message that that rapid change, rapid and gentle change can happen in an instant, but Mm. it can also be very deep and lasting change. Mm. That's actually possible. So that was the first thing. Now, the way that Sidney Banks came up with this, he was an ordinary guy. He was a working man. He was a, he's a welder. And so it's sparks he, of he, inspiration. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't looking for this. He said mm. he wasn't even particularly interested in, in a field of psychology or anything like that. He had his struggles. 
he considered himself somewhat insecure. He was a bit kind of shy. And he attributed that in the same way as you and I, if someone says, why are you like the way you are? We would make up some reason, which feels true because of X happened in my childhood. He'd been adopted as a child, mm. probably a difficult early start in life. And then he'd been uprooted from Scotland where he'd grown up, ended up in the West Coast of Canada. It's interesting so with the be- welding, like bringing together, like he was adopted, but welding is about bringing things together. And that is, yeah, it's, that's only something that occurred to me recently was that the whole art of welding has to do with, yeah, mm-hmm. making a cohesive My dad core. and my brother welds, they're engineers, so uh, oh, that's makes very a lot cool. of sense. Yeah, but he's basically a tradesman going through his life, and then he has this series of profound insights, which completely changed him from the inside, and the change was visible, such that some of his friends didn't even recognize him, and the people that did know him started to give him a wide berth, because they were all like, what the hell's happened to Sid? <laughs> Yeah, just because it was so profound. And the first thing that he realized was that this chronic feeling of insecurity, which was so familiar to him, he suddenly had a a realization. It it wasn't coming from anything that had happened to him earlier in his life. Mm. But that feeling was a reflection of the habitual pattern of thought that was constantly playing in the background of his own mind about what kind of an insecure person he was. In other words, he saw that he was feeling his own thinking. He saw it in real time. Mm. And the moment he saw that, his insecurity fell away. Even while he was still having those thoughts, Mm. it didn't matter anymore because he'd realized that's just thought. That's not me. That's not the truth of who I am. But if I believe that thinking and I identify with it, it feels like me. I become an insecure person. When I see it's just thought, I'm a totally okay person with some insecure thinking. And that's a very different experience. So this was like, this was this will be the equivalent of Hanuman discovering China, the remedy. Mm. He stumbles on this thing and he decides to dose himself. And he's, oh my God, it produces all the symptoms of malaria. So he's done a, he's done a very limited experiment, but it's opened the door to a mm. much bigger possibility. Yeah, that so insight. What, he had that insight and that was set the scene for us still using homeopathy 240 years later. Whatever. But he mm-hmm. hadn't seen the bigger implication yet. Uh-huh. I'm guessing, who knows? I wasn't there with him, but... <laughs> I'm, if I put myself in his shoes, mm. I could have, my scientific brain would have kicked in and said, yeah, well, it could have been a fluke. Mm. You know, that this one happens to produce symptoms that happen to correspond to mm, the thing that gotcha. is historically, right? It could have been. Mm. The only way to disprove that was to test it on other things, which is the next thing that Hahnemann did. Mm. And what does he discover? It works every time. It's a principle of nature. And well, what does it do? He same thing. So he had this initial experience, but it was personal to him. And it was only telling him, giving information about one feeling, this chronic insecurity. But it changed the way that he changed his perspective. What he started to see then was that, oh, as my thinking changes, my feelings change with it. It's like a mirror image. Mm. I'm always feeling my own thinking. It applies to all my feelings. And when my mind clears, I'm just left with this feeling of well-being, which must be my natural state. And then as soon as some insecure thinking kicks in again, it seems to take me away from my well-being mm. because it creates a different kind of feeling. Mm. He's like running the experiment and he's noticing in real time what happens. Now, of course, he's got different eyeballs now. He's now looking out from a very new vantage point. What does he see? Oh, it's true for everybody else as well. Mm. Everybody's feeling their own thinking all the time and they don't realize it. It's not just true for me. It's just how it works. And it's invisible to all of us until we see it. 
And the only way you can see it is through your own insight, through your mm -hmm. own realization. So he quickly caught on to the fact that he couldn't just tell people about this and they would have the same experience as him. It wasn't, there was no power in the words. All of his talks, the first thing he says is, don't listen to my words, it won't help you. Which, of course, the people are already baffled. Like, what do you yeah. mean, don't listen to him? But he's giving a talk. But what he was pointing to was that it's an internal shift that does the work. And it's a subtle thing, but it's also something that is it's very tangible in the sense that you feel the effect of it immediately when it happens. We could talk about it as an energetic shift. So he would say, listen for the feeling. And what he's really saying there is, listen for the shift in your own energy. Mm. That's how you'll know that you're getting it, right? That's how you'll know that it's going in. You'll feel like an energetic shift. Mm. Again, to me, it's, like, it's just like when you take a good remedy. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah, you can feel it in seconds. So there's so many parallels to me with how homeopathy helps people to heal. And this understanding has a similar effect on people. What he came to see was that essentially we're all okay on the inside. Everybody's always okay. And he called this innate well-being or innate mental health. He says every human being is sitting in the middle of mental health mm -hmm. under all circumstances and at all times. They just don't know it. Now, that's what's called a paradigm shift, because that is not the understanding that the whole field of psychology has right now. And including all the things that I'd learned, which many of which were relatively on the fringes or relatively alternative as far mm -hmm. as psychology goes, I was exploring the outer edges of that. But even within all those, those branches, it's still generally believed that psychological health, some people have it, some people don't. Mm. And that well-being, let's say, some people have more of it, some people have less. And that it's perceived to be something that you can lose. It can be somehow eroded away. And if that happens, then you've got to work hard to get it back. You've got to do well-being practices and mm. positive affirmations mm. and all, there's all manner of things now that people do to try to get back to a feeling of well-being. Mm. What Sid Banks was saying was, no, you can't lose it. It's impossible. It's built into the fabric of life itself. Wow. All that can happen is that through a simple misunderstanding, it's what he called the innocent misuse of the gift of thought. He said, we innocently misuse that gift against ourselves and it creates the illusion that we've lost our well-being. Mm. And in essence, what that's revealing is that all psychological and emotional suffering is, you could say it's essentially dreamlike in its nature, mm. which is to say that it feels absolutely real. Yeah. Like a dream. When you're in a dream, it feels like reality. Yeah. Mm. So that's not to discount people's suffering. When you're in it, it's real suffering. <laughs> it's as real as anything else mm. in our experience. However, it's also dreamlike in this regard. You can wake up from it at any moment. And when you wake up from it, you discover a deeper plane of reality where that suffering no longer exists. It's not that you reach a place where you figure out how to resolve it. No, mm. you move to a place where it doesn't exist. Okay. So there's, nothing to be, there's nothing to be done with it. That's the difference. It's not a new uh, psychological tool or technique. Mm. When some people misunderstand it as that, mm. some people think, oh, it's, it's a better way of doing psychology or it's a better way of positively thinking myself into a better feeling state mm. it's not that. it's not that it's a means of understanding how we operate in a, in a truer way and when we understand that we mm. can align ourselves with that understanding and we can come back to let's say the place of well-being that we never lost it becomes accessible to us once again because we, it's like we we remember where the door is you know? mm. <laughs> so mm. we've been opening all these doors it's like oh it's not that one it's not that one it's like, oh here it is 
all we had to do was walk through it. It's mm. right there. That's amazing. You make it sound so simple. <laughs> and now, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, let's have a quick little break and we'll be back. So we're back. And Ian, what are the three principles? Okay. So this is where it gets tricky because the only way I can answer that question is words. And words are essentially concepts. So the concepts will only give us an intellectual understanding, which is what Sydney Banks says won't help you. Okay. <laughs> give us a try. Give us a try. <laughs> so with that caveat, <laughs> yeah. the three principles is a term that he came up with. And it, this was about maybe eight or nine years into his own journey. So he'd had his massive life-changing revelation. And what happened was that he just started to share spontaneously what he was seeing now and he was very much just responding to the people that came into his life who were, they would ask him questions and he would just respond so it's just tailored to whoever was there and then after a certain period psychologists started to hear about what was happening to some of the people that were going and listening to Sydney Banks some of them would have been their clients so some of these people were on long-term psychological medications or mm -hmm. psychiatric medications some of them had been hospitalized for mm -hmm. mental health problems or they just had everyday struggles, anxiety, depression, so forth. Some of them who were struggling with addictions. And what happened, not just for one person, but for many people over a period of time, was that they'd go, they'd go to Sydney Bank's living room, literally. He would just be there with his wife. They'd have a chat. It, was, it all seemed just very cordial. And they'd come out in a really nice feeling. Mm. People would just come out in a really nice feeling. And they'd forget to take their meds. And then the next day, they're still in a nice feeling. So it wouldn't occur to them to take their meds. Uh -huh. And then after a few weeks, they'd realize they seemed to acquit those meds and they were just doing fine. Wow. And the same thing started to happen with addictions. Many people's addictions just started to fall away. And it wasn't they'd worked on stopping. They tried that and it hadn't worked. So yeah. It's very hard to try and stop uh, a self-destructive habit. What would happen is that they would move to a new level of well-being where that habit no longer made sense. Hmm. Because if you think about it, what is an addiction? An addiction is an attempt to feel better, mm. right? When you don't feel good, and this is all of us, mm. when we don't feel good on the inside, we'll try anything to try and get to a better feeling because we know it's possible. Some people get lucky and they discover homeopathy or meditation or yoga, or, and that helps them feel better. Mm. Some people, not so they don't get so lucky. They try alcohol and temporarily feel better. Whatever we try that seems to work, guess what? We do more of that. That's all that addiction is. It's an innocent attempt to feel better. Now, when a person naturally feels better because they reconnect to their innate well-being, it doesn't make sense to a person who's feeling really good to go and do drugs and alcohol to feel better. Absolutely. So you stop. <laughs> In fact, if you do that thing now from a place of well-being, it actually will make you feel worse. And that's so amazing to me. That was, was like a revelation to me when my teacher described this to me. He said it's incredible because the thing that people used to do to help them just to get through the day, to feel well enough to get through the day. Mm. When they reach a nice level of well-being, if they do that thing now, it will take them back down and they go, oh my God, what am I doing this to myself? And I felt much better before I did this. Yeah, Isn't that amazing? They have a totally different relationship to the same thing, whatever mm. that, whatever it is. Mm. So I got a little bit off track there. What was the question again? <laughs> what are the three principles? <laughs> oh yes, yes, sorry. <laughs> it's, all part of the, it's all part and parcel. It's all part, yeah, really we can only talk around it. It's the only way yeah, that we can yeah. really get close to it. Yeah. So after about a period of years, psychologists started to hear these stories of spontaneous healing. And so they started coming to Sydney Banks 
and hanging out with him it's like what is he doing this guy how is he helping people to mm. literally recover their mental health in a way that doesn't happen in our practices mm. and probably most of them just came and went they thought well, he's a nice guy but he obviously doesn't know what he doesn't know anything about psychology but there were some who stuck around and they actually heard it they went in mm. and these were the ones like mark one of the people that i trained with they had their own insight and then they couldn't practice psychology anymore in the way that they wow. learned it <laughs> so now there is there was no going back for them mm. they had to bring this into their work so what started to happen was a group of psychologists and psychiatrists started he was mentoring them basically because he saw well these are the perfect people to bring this to a wider audience they've already got a captive audience so to yeah. speak and he saw the implications for mental health and mm. and in fact, he saw that very early on, but he just didn't know how it would play out. He mm. said to his wife, three days after his initial insight, he turned to his wife and he said, and the guy's a welder, remember? Yeah. He turns to his wife and he said, very matter of fact, he said, one day what I've just realized will transform the fields of psychology and psychiatry. Wow. Like as if he's talking about the weather. You can imagine how that went down. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> I imagine that his wife was probably freaked out at this stage. Mm. It's like, see, you yeah. don't say something. What are you talking about? You, you're not even a psychologist yourself. But he was saying it because he knew that he'd uncovered something that wasn't yet understood by that field. And he also knew that when it was understood, it would transform that field. In the same way that Hahnemann understood, right, when he has his revelation, he knew that this was a paradigm shift for the medicine, basically, mm -hmm. for the healing arts. And he knew that there was no going back. And he knew that anybody who understood it would drop what they were doing before and they would orient themselves in this direction because it enabled results that were not possible before mm. so it was the equivalent it was the exact equivalent it just happened that Sidney Banks wasn't a psychologist it fell to him to bring this to the field and to his credit he wasn't deterred by that he was very humble and he was always very some sense deferential towards those who were better qualified than himself he said you guys know better than I do about the whole field of mental health but this is what I know Mm. And he would just speak directly from his own experience. So after a time, those psychologists, basically, they said, look, Sid, we know that this works because we felt the effects of it. And we've seen what's happening to the people that are listening to you. But we can't teach what you're, what you're doing. It's, it just seems very random. What, it's like you're just responding to people in the moment. How can we possibly replicate that? Mm. We need some principles, Sid. Mm. I, it was something like that. There was basically a, a certain point in the evolution of this understanding it became evident to Sid that he needed to codify it in some way so that other people could mm. pass it on. And he didn't want it to be like a cult of Sidney Banks. That was the opposite of what he was interested mm. in. He wanted this to be something that other people could share so that it would benefit others going forward and it would outlive him. And so he came up with this term three principles. And the principles are mind, thought, and consciousness. Mm. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> But then he would qualify it. He said, it's not personal mind and it's not personal thought and it's not personal consciousness. He says, what I'm talking about is universal mind. And the way that he described that, and this is going to sound familiar to you homeopaths, he said, universal mind is what I mean by that is it's the intelligence and energy of all things. We know that, right? Vital force, the, in, the intelligence behind all things. He called that universal mind. Okay. And he said, that's the first principle. And the second, universal thought. He said that universal intelligence that of mind, mm. he said it has a creative 
aspect to it, which he called thought. And essentially what's happening there is that formless energy is taking form momentarily, and that's what creates a particular flavor of experience for us. And we're not making that happen. That power, that invisible power is making that happen. We just mm. get to experience it. Mm. Yeah, We don't choose ahead of time what we're going to think. Mm. We literally say, it occurred to me. It mm. just came to me. We say afterwards, I thought this. <laughs> but it, it literally just arose. Mm. And, and where does it arise? It arises in consciousness. So what's consciousness? Consciousness is the facet of this that enables us to be aware of what it is that's arising so that we experience it as a reality. Mm. The nuance of that Sydney Banks identified was that how do we experience thought as it passes through us? We feel it. We feel our own thinking. Yeah. And he says, that's the missing link. He said, thought is the missing link. That's the missing piece that psychology has overlooked. Why is that important? If we don't see that, it looks to us as though our feelings are being created and influenced by things outside of us. Mm. So this is where it gets juicy. And he said, it looks like that to everybody. It looked like that to him. It looked like his insecurity was the result of his past events and early childhood trauma and so on. You ask anybody, you go out on the street, do you ever get stressed or upset? Yes. Mm. What do you think is causing that? Mm. The weather, my financial situation, the government damn it people will come up with 101 things nobody will say it's my own thinking it's yeah. thought in the moment it's just thought that's arising in the moment that's been brought to life by this invisible energy of consciousness and that creates my felt experience nobody's going to say that because it's invisible to us so what the principles are describing is something that's happening behind the scenes mm. of our experience but it helps us to account for our experience. It helps us to make sense of it. And when people get, you just have to get the slightest glimpse of this. When people get a glimpse of it, it does something for them. They go like, oh yeah, that's how it works. It puts us in alignment with the truth of how it actually works. And when we see how it works, we realize that we've been participating in our own suffering without realizing it, not mm -hmm. deliberately, innocently. It's what we call the innocent misuse of the gift of thought. Mm. And as soon as you start to see that you've been essentially creating your own suffering innocently, guess what happens? It stops making sense mm. to do that. I can already <laughs> feel a shift just from you saying this. It really feels like there's a shift already. And I'm just thinking of, I could just see people driving, listening to this, doing their gardening, going for a run, wherever they're listening to this. And I can just see that they will have a shift as well like it, it actually it's very simple but very profound on a very deep level what i what i yeah. want to know is and i'm not too happy is it sounds like you are only doing this in person we're going to have to talk ian <laughs> so are you teaching any of this online or is it all just in person at, at the moment i'm not but i have done before <laughs> obviously, obviously it can be communicated through yeah. any medium like we're mm. doing right now it's i think it, i'm just a bit in reaction to having been banned from doing oh, live i things. hear you yeah yeah and i see you on facebook going to some beautiful locations and i see the photos and everyone's got beaming smiles on their faces that they get to <laughs> hang out with you in person i'm so jealous i'll be over i'll be over that soon yeah once I'll you're be, over that please do create some <laughs> courses for us because this is just absolutely incredible 
Can you, just before we finish up, just share one final message about this and also how people can get hold of you? And it will be in the show notes, but just a final message and how people can get hold of you before we wrap up. Yeah, obviously we've only we've scratched the surface, but it's, it is very simple. And I could even probably say there isn't that much more to it, but the learning curve around this is through your own insight. So that's what gets people into this is that they get a glimpse, like you just said, you yes. know, I, I can feel when you get a glimpse, something in you says, I know there's more yeah. here. I know there's more that I could see. And that's true. And so that is the, that's the kind of journey that many people embark on. And that's mm. been my journey since I first came across this. And so as simple as it is, the depth to which we can continue to see it is seemingly infinite. There's always more to see. And that to me is the exciting part about it is that it's something that's actually in essence very simple. Mm. And yet we can continue to see more. And the more we see, the simpler it gets. And the impact that has on people's lives is to me is just so profound. And it brings a sense of ease into people's lives that they didn't know was possible or that they'd so long since such a long mm-hmm. time that they'd experienced that they didn't know it was possible to come back to it. And one of the things that to me was just miraculous about this is because it's helping us to uncover our birthright, which is innate well-being, mm-hmm. which we've never lost. It doesn't take time for people to come back to a place of health, mm-hmm. psychological and emotional. Mm-hmm. That's the illusion. The illusion is that I bought the idea, you probably have learned this somewhere, that if you've been suffering and struggling a long time, it's probably going to take you a long time to get better, yeah. to feel well. Yeah, yeah, I took that on board. And when I believed it, it was true. <laughs> what I heard City Banks was saying, that's not actually how it works. It's an uncovering. Mm. And if you it's like, it's like you're digging for buried treasure, it might take a while until you find the spot. But essentially, when you find the spot, it's right there. It doesn't take you a long time to unpack it or anything. It's right there. And it's like that with us, is that we can uncover and rediscover the well-being that we'd never lost, literally in an instant. And Amazing. that's why this is, to me, this is, it offers a possibility and a hopefulness to people, mm-hmm. which goes way beyond what I would say people are used to expecting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention that because to me, when you look at the state of the world right now, everybody's of the opinion that we're in a mental health crisis, that everything's getting worse, it's going downhill. And mm. on one level, that's true. But simultaneous to that, we've been shown the door, we've been shown the way out, and it's mm-hmm. way simpler than we thought. And to me, that's very hopeful. And that's why I spend my time now sharing this as best I can. And that's why I love speaking with you because you always manage to see that golden edge around the cloud or what's that say, just that you always manage to see the good in things. So now you've got the, your website is the insightspace.com. Is there anything Perfect. else that you want to share with any of our listeners before we wrap up? Like just of where they can reach you? Yeah, through the website everything, or through yeah, Facebook. Okay. Yeah, either one. Yeah, Excellent. feel free to reach out. If anything in this resonates for you and uh, you want to know more, yeah, feel free to reach out. And I'd be happy to recommend some pointers or some resources as best I can. Amazing. Ian, thank you so much with all my heart for coming back on today. And I'm excited for the possibilities for the Three Pillars. And I'm hanging out for your book. (laughs) Just putting it out there because you're an amazing (laughs) author. (laughs) So I'm waiting for your book to add that to the other 300 Uh books on the Three Pillars. We we want the Ian Watson version. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And that. To me, it's a perfect compliment to those of you who are practicing homeopaths Mm. or any kind of health professional. It just makes your own work so much easier 
And, and it also gives you something that you can convey to your clients so that it, it benefits them as well. Mm. So to Amazing. me, it's a win-win, but you get the benefit as a practitioner. It takes the stress out of your life, but it also gives you something you can pass on to your clients. Mm. So I love sharing this with health professionals and homeopaths because I know it's going to make their job easier and more effective. Mm. Thank, Thank you, you so Eugene. much, Ian. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Bye.